like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. George Norrie here, Dr. Jeffrey Long with us, leading near-death experience researcher, New York Times best-selling author. He founded the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation and two other websites devoted to experiences related to near-death experiences. After Death Communication Research Foundation and Out-of-Body Experience Research Foundation. This family of websites happens to be the largest publicly accessible collection of human experiences of their type available. This is leading to increasing awareness that worldwide and across cultural boundaries, as we all share these types of experiences, and they are similar to a degree that is medically inexplicable. Dr. Jeffrey Long, back on Coast to Coast. Jeffrey, always a pleasure. It is certainly a pleasure to be back, George. How have you been, sir? I've been doing fantastic. Great. Tell us about this incredible study of 3,000 people. Yeah, first of all, you want to talk about incredible, George. Over the years, it's blossomed. We're now up to over 4,000 near-death experiences that we have in our research database. Wow. This is by, oh, I just, uh, for over 20 years, we've been working on this, both me and the wife, a licensed attorney who's devoted her full-time job to assisting with this project. But because we have so many near-death experiences, we're learning more about near-death experiences than ever has been possible before because we have so many in our database that we can study. And what got you involved in this? Did you have a personal experience or so? What happened? You know, I've never had a near-death experience, but uh, when I was back in my residency training decades ago, I'm a physician, radiation oncology, the use of radiation to treat cancer, but this is back before internet, that's how long ago. I was looking in a journal, a paper journal, looking for a cancer-related article in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and quite by accident, I come across an article with the title Near-Death Experience in it, and I I was puzzled. As a doctor, I knew you're either alive or you're dead, and what's this near-death experience thing? So I 
uh, puzzled, read the article, and was immediately fascinated. I mean, how can you not be fascinated about wondering what happens beyond death's door, even as a doctor? So I, as soon as I read that article that talked about near-death experiences being similar worldwide, I realized immediately, if this is true, this changes my mind about the universe. So a couple of years later, I had a college friend visiting me, and his wife shared a very detailed near-death experience, first one I heard in person, and I was hooked. I then set up the nderf.org website with one goal, to determine are these experiences for real from the best source of evidence, that being people that actually experience these. Did you ever have any doubts? Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. When I started this, I'm, I'm, George, as a physician, cancer treating physician, I make decisions that are life and death based on evidence. You sure do. In other words, it's, you've got to prove it to me. I don't go on anecdotes. I don't go on uh, reputation of someone else's recommendation. I simply go on saying the evidence and the reasoning that guides medicine and that certainly guided my journey of coming to understand if near-death experiences were real or not. So I was, if you will, a skeptic when I started this out. I really said the, uh, this is such extraordinary experiences. It's really going to take very, very solid evidence, a very high bar of evidentiality to convince me that near-death experiences are real. And good gosh, uh, relatively quickly, if there's one thing I realized as I began my survey of near-death experiencers, near-death experiences are, in a word, real. I've been watching coverage of uh, Queen Elizabeth's uh, funeral, basically, and they're marching her around with her holding the casket. And I'm thinking to myself, is she aware of this incredible pomp that is portraying her death? Is she, is she looking at this? And I think she is. Oh, I'm in complete agreement. Every shred of evidence we have in near-death experiences is that uh, even though our, our friends, family, loved ones, even the monarchs in the world, when they die, their consciousness does not die. Their consciousness goes on existing uh, actually in a supernormal state. And I am quite confident, based on evidence, that, uh, queen, that the queen is fully aware of all the, the amazing outpouring that we've all seen uh, in the media and, and uh, the pomp and the ceremonies, and, and I'm sure that the Queen, uh, even though she's deceased, is conscious of this and certainly very, very deeply touched and appreciative. You know our friend Daniel Brinkley, no doubt. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, man, what an incredible series of stories this poor guy has had, hasn't he? Oh, j- just amazing. I, yeah, I'm glad he survived getting, uh, you know, his several uh, close brushes with death. Absolutely. Anyways, tell us about these. Uh, you wrote an essay about the scientific proof with uh, the afterlife. Tell us about this. Yeah, this happened last year. There was a big organization called the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies. And last year they had the first of its kind in human history, a huge contest where they invited essays. And these are big essays, 25,000 words, about a half a book. That's the one Mishlove won, right? Yes, that is exactly him. I, uh, yes, absolutely. So the, uh, the essay contest was, went out literally worldwide, and the prize money was so huge, way over a million dollars, that this organization had over 1,000 essays submitted. And they had a panel of very well-qualified judges select a little over 200 of the essays for closer evaluation. So these were literally the top 
gun scientific uh, people around the, the world coming up with the best evidence for life after death. And I was very honored, George, to be in the runner-up group. So That's right. You were way up there. Imagine my surprise when I'm flipping through my email one day and uh, it says, you won $50,000 is the subject line. Now, you and I would normally delete that, but I paused <laughs> and said, wait a minute, maybe, maybe, and guess what? That's what I won. That's great. <laughs> so it was, that was really a, a kind of a game changer, you know, recognition that uh, a near-death experience, and, and not just me, George, there were some other people, the major near-death experience researchers, their essays that they submitted, uh, in my opinion, was perhaps the strongest lines of evidence for the reality of life after death, that we all have an afterlife uh, beyond death's door. So that was very exciting. The consensus, I think, of everybody involved in that is that we've now proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that life goes on after we die. And that's exciting. And it really took this contest and and to bring out the very best essays that the leading thinkers in the world had to share about this. And in your case, Jeffrey, how does an essay convince a skeptic about the other side? Well, through exactly what we were talking about earlier, evidence and reasoning. Uh, that is a dramatic claim to say that there's life after death, that, that we know it and we, we have strong evidence that basically, in my opinion, proves it. And so you really have to look at and I looked at near-death experiences in this essay and found 12 lines of evidence, all of which converged on the understanding that near-death experiences are indeed real, along with their consistent message of an afterlife. And so that and, and many other essays, you me mentioned Mr. Mishlove, certainly his essay, very strong too, uh, convincing. What is it going to take for a skeptic? They have to actually read the essays. Uh, they're 25,000 words. They're a lot of read. But the evidence is so powerful between mine and the other essays that were accepted as winners in this contest. I, th I think we've got that, and, and so do the participants in this contest. Uh, we finally, I think, uh, at the, after a long journey of seeking out that evidence and reasoning, we're there. We've got evidence beyond a reasonable doubt by legal standards that there's life after death. Jeffrey, give us a definition of a near-death experience. Sure. Now, while no two near-death experiences are the same, they're certainly a well-established definition. You have to be near-death. In other words, so physically compromised that you're unconscious or clinically dead. And at that time, we're by the very definition of unconscious in the dictionary, you shouldn't have a memory. You should have nothing that it's like a blank slate because you're unconscious, not conscious. And yet, at that time, you have the experience part of a near-death experience. Uh, highly, typically highly lucid, organized. Events occur in logical order, unlike dreams where events skip around. And so it's a uh, near-death experience is pretty much exactly what it says. And by the way, I was co-author of a major article published just a few months ago in the annals of the New York Academy of Sciences, and me and a consensus of other near-death experience researchers had a definition pretty much along those lines. We called it recalled experience of death, but it's basically exactly what I said. You're so physically compromised, you're unconscious or clinically dead, and then you have a lucid, organized experience. That's, by modern thinking, a near-death experience. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, 
I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do many people have NDEs? You know, that's where it gets fascinating. A Gallup survey published in 1982 found that about 5% of American adults had a near-death experience previously in their life. And then several other researchers in other areas of the world found that that percentage seems to be about true. So near-death experiences are not rare. There's literally millions of people throughout the world that have had near-death experiences, young, old, uh, men, women, children, um, people of all belief systems and lack of belief systems, 
uh, of all walks of life, of all professions, near-death experiences can occur to anybody. Now, let's talk about some of the principles of your essay that pointed out NDEs. Okay. What the, what the, did you convince people of? Sure. We had uh, we had twelve lines of evidence, but uh, just going sort of right down the list. One of the stronger ones is well, during a near death experience, you're unconscious or clinically dead. A hallmark of a near death experience is consciousness separates from the physical body, typically rises above the physical body. About half of near death experiences involve observations of ongoing earthly events. They can actually see and often hear what's going on around them while they're above their body, clinically dead. And that often involves observations of other people frantically trying to bring them back to life. So a good research question is, okay, they're unconscious or clinically dead physically is what they're seeing, but their consciousness apart from the body real. And there have been a number of good studies on that. In my study, we found that a little over 98% of the time, what they saw and heard in that out-of-body state was accurate down to the finest details. And we're talking about observations of like uh, being so far above their body, they see the ambulance approaching, uh, they see and hear people talking about how to resuscitate them, how to deal with whatever traumatic event nearly killed them, very fine details. And in fact, these out-of-body observations can occur far from the physical body and far beyond any possible physical sensory awareness. We've had observations um, hundreds of yards, even miles away from the physical body. And when they recover from that close brush with death and check it out later, once again, down to the finest details, what people were saying, doing, right at that time that they were uh, laying often on the ground, uh, often appearing to be dead, uh, is accurate down to the finest details. There's absolutely no medical explanation for that being possible. And that's just one of the 12 lines of evidence that we found that were highly convincing that near-death experiences and consciousness surviving uh, are uh, surviving into the afterlife is real. The, of these ND experiencers, are they religious or spiritual before it occurs? That's where it gets interesting. I was actually involved with uh, some collaborators that wrote a scholarly book chapter some time ago. And as part of that, our group reviewed all previously published scholarly literature about near-death experiences. And one of the things that we were interested in was, is religious belief or lack of religious belief have anything to do with either the probability of an NDE, near-death experience, occurring when they nearly die, or the content of the near-death experience when it occurs? Answer to both questions, no. There doesn't seem to be any correlation with what people believe, what their religious belief is. Uh, it doesn't even seem to make any difference whether they're atheists. Don't think anything like a uh, near-death experience could happen to them, that it's impossible. They all have near-death experiences, and the content is strikingly similar regardless of their prior belief system. Do they change much after the NDE? Oh, my gosh, yes. I bet. <laughs> As you can imagine, such a dramatic experience with such dramatic content is a profound event in people's lives, and it, not surprisingly, changes them. In fact, in our scholarly research, we have a term called after-effects for the typically observed changes that occur after a near-death experience. We see that both in prospective and retrospective studies. Some of the typical after-effects are, well, not surprisingly, they no longer fear death. 
To them, they know what lies beyond the veil because they personally experienced it. They know that it's not to be feared, that there's an afterlife, a wonderful afterlife, not only for them, but for all of us. So as a result of that, they uh, tend to be more spiritual. They tend to be much more loving. They adopt those values as a result of their near-death experience and, and seek out loving relationships, loving job where they can express that uh, love and compassion in the jobs that they experience. And they may change relationships. They may change jobs so that they can express those values. And they certainly become less materialistic, and the list goes on and on. We're with Dr. Jeffrey Long. His websites are linked up at coasttocoastam.com. He's a best-selling author. A couple of his books include God in the Afterlife, Evidence of the Afterlife as well. These people that go through these NDEs, do they come back with any special gifts or powers? Now, that's still an, uh, that's a very interesting uh, topic. So I'll tell you, George, certainly after near-death experiences, a fairly small percentage of them, and yet you know, certainly enough of them that we can study them and think about them, investigate them, a, a small percentage will come back with very strong, if you will, psychic abilities. They seem to understand what people around them are thinking, uh, even before they say it. They may have a strong sense of uh, compassion that leads them to be uh, sort of aware of other people's feelings and emotions and willing and able to respond to difficulties that other people are experiencing around them, even if they're not expressed. Uh, they may have some ability to, uh, there's been some other psychic phenomena, there's electrical phenomena has been described, they seem uh, to have trouble wearing watches, we hear that over and over, have trouble working with electrical things like computers. Uh, we hear that a lot. Um, so some of these abilities can continue on for the rest of their life. More commonly, they have these abilities for a few days, weeks, maybe even a little bit longer after their near-death experience, and then these, these special, if you will, psychic powers seem to diminish in intensity over time following that. This is dramatic stuff, Jeffrey, isn't it? I don't know how anybody could not be fascinated by the whole spectrum My of near-death experiences. I mean, it points to life after death. It points to the fact that we as humans may have abilities and powers that uh, can, the proper circumstances can be brought out. Uh, it just, it, it's just, it, even after studying near-death experiences for over 20 years, each and every new near-death experience I investigate, I just find fascinating. Now, because they're near-death experiences, these people haven't actually died, they've come back. How do we know it's not a blip in the brain? Sure. Blip in the brain cannot account for you being uncomfortable. Well, okay, let's let's talk about this from several different directions. First of all, a common precipitating event of a near-death experience is a cardiac arrest, which means your heart stops beating. That's right. Now, immediately, when your heart stops beating, of course, blood stops flowing to the brain. Technically, you're dead. Yeah, you're dead. That's cardiac arrest. That's heart attack. That's uh, what starts an NDE. But, George, 10 to 20 seconds after your heart stops beating, the EEG, or electroencephalogram, and that's a measure of brain electrical activity, 10 to 20 seconds after cardiac arrest, the EEG goes absolutely flat. Yep. There is no measurable brain cortical activity, and it should be absolutely impossible at that time to have any lucid organized experience. Good I mean, point. you're beyond unconscious in that circumstance. You're in a profound coma. 
And yet this is the time by the hundreds people have near-death experiences, uh, very lucid, organized events occur. They may have that out-of-body experience and observe others performing CPR, defibrillation, trying to bring them back to life. So uh, that that's convinced me as a physician with uh, some very high bar, again, of evidentiality. That's, you know, they're really dead. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.